How a car is built, how it's sold, and what it runs on. These were the questions that were asked when the car was first invented. And today, the car industry has returned to these same questions. Here's Will Perriam, CFO of Ford Europe. Everything is changing in the car industry. The ways people consume transportation is changing. Methods of propulsion, electric vehicles, maybe autonomous vehicles are further down the line, but they are coming also. And then there's different business models as well. So we have a future which is more tied up with the services that we provide, and that impacts how we need to manage that business from a financial and a, and a treasury perspective also. However, the approach of Brexit threatens to turn what is already a period of upheaval into a potential nightmare. That is because the car industry? It's complicated. Auto treasury teams oversee every step in the business cycle of a car, from the 10,000 or so parts it takes to put one together to the financing that supports the customer. Every part of this process is connected, and Brexit touches every link in the chain. Here's Will Perriam again. The impacts of Brexit affect every part of the business. It's not just about tariffs and customs borders. It's about how people will move and how people will be able to be employed now and in the future, how we'll manage all of that stuff, where we need to put lobbying staff, where are our points of influence, and it covers every part of our business. In this episode, we're going to step into the shoes of a treasurer in the car industry. How will Brexit affect the car industry? What are the financial implications? And what should treasurers, the people responsible for managing risk and cash flows, be expected to do. This is the Your Money Podcast, Treasury and Turbulence, Episode 1, Brexit. This podcast is supported by City Treasury and Trade Solutions. With experts in 98 countries around the world, City is uniquely able to give advice and solutions to global companies to help them manage their international trade and financial flows in this time of deep uncertainty and change. The treasurer's two main jobs are, one, to keep the lights on for the company and its supply chain, and two, deal with the banks and the capital markets. So first, let's take the manufacturing process, the supply chain and Brexit. I'm standing at the gate of Ford's engine manufacturing plant in Dagenham. You have huge lorries heading in and out of here every couple of minutes, employees driving over the bridge there towards the factory itself. Ford has built cars in Dagenham since 1931 and now makes a 2.2-liter dirt-torque diesel engine. These engines will be loaded on lorries and shipped across the channel to one of Ford's assembly plants in Europe. And this is typical of how a car is put together. One part made here, one made there. Loads of parts from all over the UK and not just made by Ford, but by companies like Meter Plastics in Stockton on Tees and Broadway's Stampings in Milton Keynes will eventually sail across the channel and beyond. Maybe they'll even sit beside the engines that are being made right here. This is Philip Suda, the head of UK public policy at Clifford Chance. Most people think that nations manufacture finished products. So about 45% of the UK's exports go to the EU. What is less well-known is that about 75-70% of that chunk of exports is in intermediate and capital goods, so bits, components, and they cross borders several times before they end up 
in a finished product, whether it's a car or a washing machine or whatever. He says the best outcome for UK automakers would be a Norway deal. Access to the single markets plus an added advantage Norway doesn't have, access to the customs union. Politically, that looks currently highly unlikely. But over the last year, we have seen models come back into focus that were disregarded and and, and vice versa. So we're in, in an incredibly volatile and fluid political situation. Access is the main challenge Brexit brings for how car manufacturing works. If the UK were to lose it, intricate systems of contractors and subcontractors and sub subcontractors would have to be refigured. This is one of the things that our clients are most concerned about. And if, if they're reviewing their contracts with suppliers, one of the big questions is, who bears the cost of any additional delay arising from Brexit? Those questions haven't been entirely resolved yet. That is yet another thing that these companies have to contend with, these companies that are working on relatively low margins with um, relatively limited headcounts. This is a question not only for large automakers, but for mid-sized companies with treasury teams and also smaller businesses which supply the component parts to make the cars. What is so crucial here is that the entire supply chain is currently based on timing. In terms of the timing impacts, they are potentially very, very substantial. A seat will be manufactured in, say, an Italian undertaking. That will be delivered through to the UK, and that seat will have arrived in the factory potentially hours before it's supposed to go onto the car on the production line. Even a few hours of delay can stop a production line, and that could have business-changing consequences. Corporate treasurers will have to keep an eye on their own company, but also they'll have to watch how Brexit will affect all of these SMEs and if they will face supply disruption. Good morning, afternoon, good day. My name is David Stebbings and I run the treasury advisory business in PwC in the UK. I used to have a real job. I used to work for Tate and Lyle as the assistant treasurer. David warns that part of what treasury must do now is understand how their companies will operate in a post-Brexit world and how business must change. Being prepared is absolutely key. It sounds very simple, but many businesses are very bad at monitoring their exposures. So that when something, uh, the devaluation of sterling post the referendum, for example, happened, lots of companies were caught out because they weren't monitoring their exposures. And when and you talk big about... companies. Sorry, I'm just going to catch you there just to uh, draw out what you mean. When you say monitoring their exposures, what does that mean? Business exposures. It means their contracts with suppliers. It means the terms of those contracts. If you have a, uh, a contract to sell something uh, abroad and you extend the terms from 90 days to two years, you have a much bigger currency exposure because you have that exposure sitting on your balance sheet for two years. When you take that decision, do you understand the FX risk that goes with that? So we're not talking about financial instruments. We're talking about real business flows. When you change the, con- the way you contract, the way you do business, that can create or reduce foreign exchange exposures for a business. And how do you monitor that? And how do you forecast what those exposures are and what those flows are? Some players are jumping on the business opportunity that uncertainty brings. Here is Emma Clark, who works for the Falcon Group. It's an inventory finance company. Most manufacturers will have very regular daily delivery. So as they're building cars, those component parts are there. But they don't want that inventory sitting there in a big stockpile. 
these things may change with Brexit because businesses are having to stockpile. You only need to listen to what Airbus said. Soft or hard Brexit, they're going to have to have an extra billion euros worth of inventory. That's a huge amount of inventory that not just the aerospace sector are going to have to have, but the auto sector in the UK throughout the supply chain is going to have to prepare for Brexit. This has multiple financial implications. They're going to have to have a billion dollars worth of inventory. The credit insurers aren't going to necessarily cover that because there's that element of uncertainty. And also, if it's a credit insured facility, it's on balance sheet. If you look at how treasurers are having to manage this treasury black hole that they're moving into, they've got FX risk, they've got hedging risk, they've got customs risks. They've also got that additional inventory that maybe a year or so ago wasn't necessarily predicted. So they need to find the funds. They've got liquidity problems and they've got balance sheet situations, really. Where are they going to find that additional liquidity or cash from to fund that inventory? And that's that's where we step in. Emma says she expects consolidation in the SME space. Depending on the nature of Brexit, I think consolidation is very likely. They're going to need to do that for ease of the supply chain. And if the manufacturers do leave, which some of them are threatening to do, then unfortunately I think there will be some tragedies in the SME space as these manufacturers look to procure more locally to the factories that they build. Sourcing locally may already be in the works for some of the larger automakers. Here is Norbert Otto Meyer, who ran BMW's treasury for seven years until he retired earlier this summer. Brexit, maybe yes or no, it's much too early to tell because we do not know details. I'm sure that our uh, the BMW plant in Oxford is able not just to produce Mini, um, they could produce other products out of lineup of BMW also. BMW would have the ability to uh, have for local for local production. The other huge challenge that Treasury faces is that many automakers are in the middle of their business cycle. You can't just move a car factory or pick up a new batch of suppliers in the middle of an eight-year cycle with numerous outstanding contracts and start over again. This is not a situation like switching light on and off. It needs, you know, automotive product cycles when it comes to new technologies and uh, structures is uh, between six, seven, maybe even eight years. If you design a factory, a manufacturing site, uh, the cycle even is um, is longer. And I usually say it's a lot of infrastructure and cluster of suppliers necessary to make it work. This also needs the influence, of course, of funding, of the raise of capital, the raise of equity, where the treasury is involved. And this brings us to our second act. I'm standing here at the center of Canary Wharf in London, the heart of the capital markets the bond and equity markets, or if you want to simplify, where car companies get their financing in order to make and sell cars. Though the Thames runs beside me and the grey sky above is unmistakably blighty, the market is currently a borderless global place to do business. And this is another status quo threatened by Brexit. Here's Philip Suta again. There is a new regulation called STS, the Simple Transparent Securitizations Regulation in the EU. The UK is going to adopt that. It's going to have the same rules. But And this is an example of how it's working in so many other areas. You can have the same rules, but the STS regulation is supervised and regulated by ESMA, the European Securities and Markets Authority. Once we leave the EU, the UK isn't going to be under the jurisdiction of ESMA, 
the UK will have the same rules as STS, but the authority will be a UK authority. Most of these are domestic markets from the automotive perspective. But where the security is, say, you're looking to sell it to Euro European investors, well, that's where it could become an issue. And you can have, have, have some problems there. Here's Alexander Batchvorov, who currently heads the International Structured Finance Research Team at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Certain auto ABS securities in 2019 may be treated as STS, which is subject to some better regulatory capital treatment and liquidity treatment. But post-Brexit, it is not clear whether so-called STS auto ABS from Europe will be treated as STS in the UK. Also, there's a very subtle price implication here with not-so-subtle consequences. Banks holding this kind of securities may not be able to use them for their liquidity coverage ratio, for repo, and so on. And that means that they'll have no interest in holding them, or they'll have reduced interest in holding them, or they may have interest in holding them at a much higher price. The larger debate about how rules and financial regulations will be handled holds deeper implications for the markets. There may be disruption in the documentation, the enforceability of certain contracts, especially when it comes to swap agreements uh, provided across border. The contractual arrangements for the bonds may be in a different jurisdiction. If there is no continuity of contract, that could cause uh, disruptions and problems. And then last but not least is asset-backed securities is sold across borders. How the investors will function post-Brexit is a question mark. And what would you say to this, that you can just set up a capital markets union elsewhere? Yes, one can actually force capital markets uh, through regulations. But what in this case they would mean is cutting off an existing capital market and creating barriers and walls around EU27 to create a developed capital market. That takes years, maybe generations. Uh, So um, it would take time. It's not impossible, but it will take enormous amount of time. Brexit's effect on the capital markets represents a big risk factor for auto treasury teams, the manufacturing teams and the captive finance treasury teams. Who will they go to to get their financing? And what will be the cost? I spoke to an investor this morning. He told me that this year, Mercedes, BMW, VW, Vauxhall, Driver España, all of these European-based firms issued securitizations in the UK capital markets this year. Why is it so important for car manufacturers and for the car business to do well? What part of the economy is it? The car industry provides enormous amount of jobs. It is not only one car manufacturer. They actually provide work and jobs for many smaller companies. In Europe, uh, the so-called SMEs, small and medium-sized companies, uh, contribute a substantial portion of GDP and contribute to substantial uh, job creation. In some countries, that share is up to 80% of GDP. So disruption in the auto manufacturing could cause disruption on the labor markets and the um, flow of goods and in the financing markets as well. It is a centripetal force in the economy. Back in Dagenham, but this time next door to the engine factory, 
We're at the demolition site of the former Ford factory, which used to assemble full cars here until it was closed in 2013. In the distance, I can see the shell of the old building that sits at the edge of the Thames. And with all this uncertainty, I'm wondering not only about what is in store for the auto industry, but what is in store for the UK. Here's Philip Suda again. What you are seeing is future investment either being deferred or diverted. And that is the risk to the UK automotive sector, that a large multinational automotive company with operations and capabilities in a number of countries from the UK to other EU countries looks at that map and concludes, why take the risk on the UK? And the more it looks like no deal is a probability, the more there's a risk of that happening. Here's David Stebbings. What's tomorrow? Indeed. And that's the fun. That's the, that's the interesting part about it. And, you know, there are very few treasurers who wouldn't say this time is a good time to be a treasurer because it gives you issues and opportunities. It's a good opportunity for the treasurer to show his or her worth to the organisation. The traditional role of the treasurer some 20 years ago was somebody who sat in a smoke-filled little room doing complex derivatives that nobody understood about. That has changed dramatically and the treasurer now is part of the business fabric and he or she should be at the top table. We call it the strategic treasurer rather than the tactical treasurer. Should be at the table as part of that team navigating the company through that, through those winds of change. And now for more clarity on Brexit and the City House view, we're going to hand over to Charlie Corbett, Euromoney's specialist content editor. Today we are joined by two of City's foremost specialists on Brexit, who I'm hoping can shed some light on the challenges Brexit will throw up for treasurers and how to manage those challenges. Hi, I'm Elizabeth John, the director of EMEA Cash Management Sales and one of the Brexit experts in City. And I'm Ilan Jacobs and I'm a director in City's government affairs team and I also spend a lot of time looking at Brexit. Welcome, Ilan and Liz. Ilan, do we have any more certainty today over what a future trading relationship could look like? I'm afraid not, Charlie. Um, I think it's safe to say there's pretty much no more certainty now about where we're heading than there has been for the last, well, two years. There could even be less. Before we start talking about different post-Brexit scenarios, I might ask Liz, on a day-to-day basis, how can treasurers manage their supply chains uh, amid all this uncertainty? I think this is an opportunity for a treasurer to invoke the resources that a company can provide for a contingency plan. What are you saying to clients who come to you with anxieties and worries? See, the, the more we head towards the Brexit date the less the certainty seems to be. I think, you know, companies are looking at it slightly differently. If I were to plot companies and their actions on a spectrum, the four main risks that companies have from Brexit are trading model-related risks, supply chain-related risks, treasury and tax-related risks, and the final one is banking infrastructure risks. We are seeing that people are sort of de-risking themselves by creating another structure to trade with the EU. On cash pooling, for example, if a company has a UK header, the company is likely to be more impacted than a company that doesn't have a UK header. So some of them are looking at re-domiciling their header entities. What kinds of strategies are automakers taking? So I would say they're probably going through a process, certainly the ones that we talk to are, which is, okay, what is the treasury risk? What is a tax risk? What is a supply chain? And each part of their business. 
They can do a lot more with the treasury risks and the, and the banking risks, you know, with the support of City and other banks than they can with their resourcing their supply chain and anticipating the delays that they'll be at ports and so on. I was just going to throw something in there, which is rules of origin. Probably many of our listeners will never have thought about these things before, but actually they become very important because it's not just about tariffs. There's a minimum proportion of goods that have to come from a country in order to qualify for a lower tariff regime under WTO rules. It's all a bit complicated, but it basically, whereas at the moment we, we are grouped within the EU, in the future, our category will just be the UK. So whereas before a big manufacturer could have 60% of their goods sourced from anywhere in the EU, 27 countries, they'll now need them sourced 60% in the UK alone if they want to qualify for lower tariffs under existing agreements and so on. Are there, what are, what are other, some other potential unforeseen consequences, what Donald Rumsfeld might perhaps call the unknown unknowns? Liz? One of the areas where, and I'd be very glad if someone can tell me what's going to happen, is services. What is going to happen to services? Checkers covers only manufacturing. And services is the larger portion of the UK economy. So that's the unknown unknown. And the WTO also doesn't have much clarity on how to deal with services. A lot of it was working because we were in the EU. Our big counterparty is the EU. So, yeah, that's one big unknown unknown. If you could give a single piece of advice to your clients right now about how best to prepare for the future... What piece of advice would that be? Liz, I'm going to pass that to you first. This is like figuring out where the fire exits are. You need to plan. You need to have an alternative. You need to be ready for no Brexit. This should cover all four risks that I mentioned. Your company's trading model, the supply chain, your taxation, and your banking infrastructure. And then single piece of advice. Oh, I think I'd back that up. Um, it's a, actually an opportunity to audit exactly what you do. What are they, what, ev- understand every element of your business, what legal framework they rely on, who are their partners, where are they based and so on. Have a really, really thorough look so that you're then in a position whereby should you need contingency plans, you can execute them. And should you not, you'll, know what, you know, you'll be in a better position understanding your business to take advantage of those Brexit opportunities that might occur. So I think really, really understanding and scrutinising exactly how you operate and not just most business people are so busy that they just get on with it and they are servicing customers and they're not worried about actually how does this you know this ship sail i think you need to know that in this situation ilan liz thank you very much for joining us today thank Thank you this podcast was produced presented and edited by me nell mckenzie with help and leadership from our head of digital chris hunt our deputy head of digital angelique bevan camille calvert was our project manager and supervised our marketing rollout the city house view was reported by euro money specialist content editor charlie corbett and thanks to support from city for all the latest coverage on transaction services, please visit euromoney.com forward slash transaction services. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you want to get involved in some of our future podcasts, please email podcasts at euromoney.com. If you're feeling really generous, you can leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast channel. And also, don't hesitate to recommend this podcast to any friends and colleagues you know who have a passion for corporate treasury.